Come on in. Good morning. Good to see you. <laughs> How are you feeling? Feeling all right? Healing up? Good. Come on in. It's Welcome to Country Christian. We'll get started. Try to be on time here. Grab a seat. Looks like we have enough chairs for everybody this morning or benches. So I told the elders I didn't really have any great stories this morning. But I've been reading in Hebrews, and I've been kind of meditating on some things this week, and I thought, well, I'm going to share that. And uh, so let's, let's uh, yeah, let's start into this. So I've been kind of thinking about Hebrews chapter 4 talks about the rest that is promised to us as believers. You know, we're kind of going through a time right now with this last year, year and a half with a so-called pandemic and kind of a lot of uneasiness and a lot of, you know, I would say, even in my own life, just kind of like, not unrest, but I mean, it's pretty easy for your peace for, you know, the, I guess your peace to, to go, you know, things, I think that's one of the tactics of the enemy is his first thing is to disrupt your peace that you have. And, um, but one of the promises that we have is, is, is for a rest. Uh, if you look at Hebrews chapter four, verse nine, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So this morning, how is your peace? Are you walking in that peace? Are you walking in the peace that we are promised? I think one of the most peaceful times of my day, most days, is that first time that I spend in devotion in the Word of God. If you look in here, the, it says the word is sharper than a two-edged sword, right? Piercing even to the division of soul and, and spirit. Um, what, is, what is a sword? You ever thought about what is a, what is a sword? It's, it's really an instrument of, of death, is it not? What was it created for? It was created to, to kill. And um, I heard a sermon recently that said, uh, you know, who, who created the sword? Where was, who was the inventor of the sword? Anybody think of where the first sword was invented? It's actually, it was God, right? When he, when he shut the garden and he cast Adam and Eve out and he put the flaming sword, um, I think that's the first mention in the word of a sword. And so applying that to us, a sword is really an instrument of death. The Word of God, when we're spending time in His Word, that, that, that's, the sword of the Word is to get inside of us because, quite frankly, there's things in us, there's mindsets, there's attitudes, there's things that really need to be put to death. Because in order for us to walk in His will and in His way, 
some of, some of me has got to go, right? And so um, how, how do we retain that peace, right? There's a peace for the people of God that we can walk in. You know, I think, too, is, is that mean it's just we're always happy? Is, it, is peace an emotion? Is it, you know, hey, I'm just, man, I always feel good. I always feel just excited and happy. And I just, I don't, I don't really think so. I think the peace that I'm referring to, and I really think the peace and the rest that this is talking about is at a, a very soul, a deep soul level, which means I think that you can feel actually several emotions at one time. I think there's times where you can actually be angry, but, but, but at peace in your soul, right? Because there's things that can make us angry. Now, the challenge is, Scripture says, be angry and do not sin, right? So we're not to be unjustifiably angry or to, take, to let our anger go to an extent. Now, I know for, especially for us as men, um, anger can be a good thing. Anger can actually motivate us to do something. A lot of times, it gets us to move, does it not? Now, maybe for the women, it's not quite the same, but I know for men, it's, man, it's like when we see an injustice, that, that is what can motivate a man to move, is anger in the right way. The challenge is, is to not let our anger lead us into sin. Um, but in getting into God's Word, allowing the sword of the, the Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to get inside that, that time of how do we cultivate that peace, right? How do we cultivate that rest that he has promised to us. I think we have to look at kind of the application here just a little bit. Um, he, he talks, he says there, you know, obviously we read verse 9 already, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. But if you look, um, if you look at several other spots in this chapter, it actually refers to chapter 3 where it was talking about a generation that did not find that rest. And they was referring to the children of Israel in the wilderness and they wondered for 40 years, right? And why is that? Why did they not enter into that rest? And it was simply because of their disobedience, right? They wanted what, what they wanted. They said, Lord, I want what I want. And they grumbled and they complained, and there was disobedience there for them. If you look, flip over another chapter, um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 says, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but to those who believe to the saving of the soul. We're not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to where I was before. I'm not going back. And, and, and if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we live in a culture that has a calling. Does it not? There's always a calling. Darkness is always calling, right? It's trying to woo the believer out of God's plan for them. But as soon as we do that... Um, what is one of the first things to go? It's our peace, right? Our peace, we can go. Um, <clears throat> looking at the end of this chapter, verse 16. Again, how do we get back into that peace? How do we, how do we stay on that narrow path, right? How do, we, how do we go through 2020 and 2021 a pandemic and being told you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you might lose your job if you do this. How do we go through those situations and still stay in that rest and stay in that peace that God has for us? Um, I think if we look at verse 16, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, that says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The key is, is let us come boldly. We've got to take that step. There's some action on our part. A lot of times we think, Lord, just show up, deal with my situation. Well, he's actually asking us to have some faith and come before him and not come before him, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I just, you know what, just go. All he's saying is come, come unto me. Um, going again over to... Uh, chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. So again, that's us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed, washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's the gospel, right? Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to our confession. And in doing that, I believe that we will walk in that rest and in that peace that he has called for us. Because the question is, I guess, really is, is are we walking in that peace? And if we're not, What's holding us back? We have to ask this question. Why am I not walking in? I'm not talking about just this temporary happiness that can come and go. I'm talking about at a gut level. If, if you go today, and, I, and I, I'm kind of weird. I think about these things. You ever think about dying? I do. I think about it quite a bit, actually. I think, you know, what happens that moment? I put myself, I try to put myself in a situation. I think, you know, I pull out in an intersection and I pull right in front of a Freightliner truck, and I got about a second and a half, and I know it's, I know I'm gone. I'm, it's my time, right? And if something in me goes, I think there would be peace in my soul knowing that I could go. And I could say a few years ago, I couldn't have said that because I would have known, I, I'm just not sure if I'm ready to go. But the other one I think about is, you know, you go outside and you're looking at a beautiful day, and sunshine and the birds are chirping. I think about soldiers in times past that fought battles. You know, I think about the Civil War. How many soldiers laid on the battlefield, maybe seeing a bird for the last time fly over, seeing the sun, feeling it on their, on their face, you know, and, and they're dying because they've been shot, they've been wounded, whatever. And yet, can there be peace at that, at that level? And I believe there can because the Bible says, oh, oh death, where is your sting? There is no sting for the believer um, so the challenge is, is that, we re, that we remain in his peace, that we remain in obedience. And I guess the last thing is, is are we entering into his presence? Are we daily entering into his presence? And are we allowing the word of God to convict, to rebuke, to uh, exhort and reprove us? Or are we just kind of reading through it and checking the Christian box and go, hey man, I did my reading today. You know, I did, that, I did that a lot. You know, you can kinda, we can get real kind of religious in our, in our faith sometimes. And yeah, I, I read my Bible. Or I didn't read it this morning. Oh man, I must not be. Well, God is always God. The Spirit of God is within us, right? We can commune with Him daily. And so, anyway, I don't know if anybody got anything out of that. But let's go ahead and stand. And, and the worship team, come on up this morning. And, and uh, let's go ahead and pray. So... Father, thank you right now. Thank you, Lord, that you are our peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the price and the penalty for our, 
our sins, Lord God. And, you, and, the, and Scripture says that there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no enmity between us and the Father because of the blood of Jesus. But Lord, I would ask that you would guide us today. And if there's anybody in here today that is struggling, and Lord, if their peace is gone, it doesn't necessarily mean their salvation is gone. But Lord, let us run boldly to your throne. And even right now as we worship you, Father, may you be glorified. It doesn't really matter what we feel like right now. What matters is that you are Lord and you are King. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome to Country Christian Center. It's good to be here again this morning. I left from home this morning and I headed to church and I got about a mile down the road and I was supposed to be here at 9.30 and realized that uh, my Bible and my notebook were still on my desk at home. So I had to quickly text my wife and say, would you please bring it because I don't feel like winging it too much today. But God is good and God is good all the time and everything that we do, he is involved in and we need to keep him involved in everything that we do every day of our life. We're going through Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21 is where we're going to go this morning. So I'm going to read that as we get started. Galatians 2 and verse 11, it says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Father, thank you for your word. I just pray that as we look into it this morning, you would open our ears to hear and help me to share what you have for us to hear this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Read these. We're going through Galatians. You know where we're going to be going next. Read it ahead of time. See what the Spirit is showing you and is revealing to you as you read. That's what I am trying to do as I prepare to share on Sunday morning. So here comes Paul. He'd come to Antioch. And he is realizing... And seeing something that is going on with Peter that he doesn't like. Not, not only that he doesn't like, but that is not, uh, uh, it's not correct. It's being hypocritical. And so just to go back and say, and, and so we can see where Peter is coming from, uh, I want to go back to Acts chapter 10. There's a couple different places in Acts that I'm going to read. In Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter, who is a Jew, 
And the Jews are not supposed to mingle, or supposedly, according to the law, they weren't supposed to mingle with the Gentiles or people of other nations. And so here uh, in, in Acts chapter 10 and verses 24 through 29, it says, "...in the following day they entered Caesarea." Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common." Or unclean. So Peter is going to talk to Cornelius. The Lord has led him there, knowing full well that he is a Gentile, he's of another nation, and Peter is going anyways. And so if you flip then over to Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 4 through 10, and Peter is explaining what the, the vision that the Lord has given him. Chapter 11 and verse 4. But Peter explained it to, it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. An object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has any, at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common." Now, this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. So the Lord is trying to show Peter that, yes, according to the law, there were a lot of things that were unclean to eat. There were people that were, you weren't supposed to hang out with. But then again, when Jesus came, and this in Acts and in Galatians that we're talking about is after Jesus has been here. And when Jesus came, he came, and those are the type of people that he hung out with. Because he didn't come for the people that believed in him, he did, but he came to heal the sick. He came to heal the people that didn't believe. He came to share his love with those that didn't believe. And so we go back to Galatians, and, and Paul comes to Antioch, and he sees Peter, and Peter is, is kind of living a double standard. And so when, let me get back to it here, when before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So fearing those who were of the law. So Peter is eating with Gentiles. And then when the people from James came, and he was a little bit afraid of what they might say or what they might think. And so then all of a sudden, now it's not okay to eat with the Gentiles because of who is here. And it wasn't just... Peter that was doing this, but Peter was leaving an example that I don't know if he was completely aware of. And so now the people around him, including it even mentions uh, Barnabas, was doing the same thing. And a couple of questions that come to mind, and, and one of them is, are we consistent in the things that we do? Are we consistent in the things that we do? What I do when you're not here versus what I do when you are here, is it the same thing? Or am I afraid that if somebody's there, they're going to see what I'm doing and they're not going to like it? Do we do the same things? Are we consistent in the things that we do? The second question, do we act different depending who we are with? The Bible talks about being, being not conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do we do things differently 
depending on who we are with. Sometimes it's easy to want to try to identify with certain people, and so when you're with one group of people, you act one way, and with your another, when you're with another group of people, you act another way, and sometimes that happens on Sundays, and when we come to church and you interact here with the people here, we act one way, but as soon as we walk out the door and we get up Monday morning to go to work, we become a totally different person. And it's, in a sense, this is what Peter is doing, is he's trying to live two different lives. He's trying to impress everybody. And Paul says, you're a hypocrite. This isn't right. You can't do this. This isn't going to share the love of Jesus with people the way that you think it's going to. The last question I have is, are, we're wor- are we worried about what people think, or are we worried about what God thinks? Because in this case, in Galatians, Peter is worried about what the people think. And maybe not putting quite as much thought into what God might think. Do we act differently depending on who we're with? And if that's the case, would this not indicate that we possibly are worshiping people rather than God? Because if we put people up here and we're concerned more about what they think than what God thinks, we have our priorities messed up. We need to be consistent You need to be the same person you are here as you are at work, as you are at home, as you are wherever you might go. You need to be the same person. I have talked to people before that that, uh, can be that way. You go to work, that's different. We're going to go to work, that's business. We're going to operate differently than we do when we come to church on Sunday morning. And I'm just here to tell you that is hypocritical. You need, to do, you, need to, you need to use the things that God has given you. If you have a business mind, you need to use that for business, but you don't change it based on where you are. You use it for the Lord, whether it's here on Sunday morning or whether it's at work on Monday morning or whether it's the weekend when you get to do what you want to do. You always use it for the Lord. Let's be consistent. God doesn't tell us to just love some people He says to love all people because God didn't just come for the Jews, which they would have liked us to believe under the law. The the rulers of the day in scripture would like us to believe that Jesus just came for the Jews. And here Peter is trying to almost separate that again to make it look like he did just come for the Jews, but he didn't because of what we've been going through the last few weeks. He came for everybody. Jesus came for everybody. He didn't tell us to love certain people and not to love other people. So Paul comes and he's observing what happens. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews. If you, being a Jew, if you're a Jew, you know what the law is, you know how you're supposed to keep the law, and you're trying, yet you're not keeping the law, depending on who you're with. But yet, on the other hand, you're trying to encourage the Gentiles to live like Jews and keep the law. You're living a double standard. You're a hypocrite, is what Paul keeps saying. And Paul, because of the position that Peter was in, and I want to read 1 Timothy First Timothy chapter 5, because of the position that Peter was in, he was a, a leader in the church there, and he was, people listened to him, and people came to hear him. And so First Timothy chapter 5, verses 
uh, 19 and 20, it says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And verse 20 says, Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. So where the position that Peter was in, Paul came and he addressed him in front of everybody. Peter, what you're doing is not right. Now, I'm sure he wasn't coming across condemning. He wasn't trying to make fun of him. He was very simply trying to say, Peter, the way that you're living right now is not according to what God would want you to do. He calls him out in front of everybody, not to make fun of Peter, but at the same time to remind everybody else not to find themselves in the same spot. Let's be consistent in who we are. Continuing on in, in Galatians, it says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith <clears throat> in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Now read the, the, the verse 15 that says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. So that could be a little bit confusing because we're Jews by nature. So we were born into a Jewish family. We knew what the law, we were raised with the law. We knew what it was. We're not sinners like the Gentiles. That was a little bit confusing. And so maybe another way of looking at that today might be saying, and we've, you know, I've said this a lot, I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised knowing what's right. I was raised being taught what's right. Unlike some people who weren't raised that way. So do I have an advantage? Well, sure. I could say that I have an advantage, but I don't, I'm not any more loved by God than the person that wasn't raised in a Christian home. I'm not any more loved by God than the person that was a Jew or that was a Gentile. God loves everybody the same. And so that was just interest, an interesting thought. Maybe that's more like saying, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, so therefore I have the advantage of knowing. But if you have the advantage of knowing and you still don't live consistently, it is to no advantage at all. Because you still have to choose for yourself how you're going to live. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk 
in them. For by grace we have been saved. If you go back to Galatians, it talks about uh, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, because a lot of people are still, and even today, there's a lot of people that are still trying to earn their salvation by what they do. And the scripture is very clear that there's no way that you're going to earn it. It's by grace. It's by grace and it's through faith. God has done the work. God, Jesus, has accomplished the work when he died on the cross. And it's only by his grace through our faith that we can have salvation. We no longer need to live under the Levitical law because Christ has freed us from that. Acts chapter 13. Verses 38-39. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can... There's no amount of works, amount of good works or any kind of works that we can do that's going to justify our salvation. Zach said this morning, why would we want to go back? Why would we want to go back to what we were? Why would we want to go and try to do things differently when we know and we believe that this is the truth and this is the one way to get to heaven? Why would we want to go back and do it differently? Maybe there's things we would like to change for the better, but I don't know about you, but I would like to start from where I am and move forward. We're not living under the law. We don't need to live under the law because of what Christ did for us. We are not justified or declared righteous by keeping the law, but we're made righteous by our faith in Christ. We are not justified or declared righteous by keeping the law, but we're made righteous by our faith in Christ. Romans chapter 8 Verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. How do we learn to walk according to the spirit? How do we do that? And I think part of that is on a daily basis asking the Lord to work through us, asking the Lord to reveal himself to us. You can come here on Sunday morning, we can listen to each other's testimony, we can sing, <clears throat> we can study the truth of the word, but you have to determine personally yourself if you want to walk according to the Spirit or if we're going to continue to live under the flesh. Do, you, do we have the desire to walk according to the Spirit? Do we want the Lord to work through us? Do we want him to speak through us? Do we want him to use us? Or are we satisfied to just live our lives, just 
don't make me uncomfortable. Don't ask me to share with somebody that might be awkward. Just, I just want to live my life. And I think that's the wrong mentality. Can we learn to walk in the Spirit? Can we keep our minds filled with spiritual things? Back to Galatians. <clears throat> Verse 17, chapter 2, says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? That's interesting because Christ came and he did away with the law, right? The law is gone and now we live under grace. We live under the blood of Christ. We're covered by the blood of Christ. We're made righteous by the blood of Christ. But if we, but we do sometimes still find ourselves trying to live under the law, and we can't do it, and we sin because we were born sinful, and we're still going to sin. So they're asking. He's asking here. Does that make Christ a minister of sin? And Paul's answer, in a different translation, is a resounding: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Christ is not a minister of sin. Christ has freed us from the law and allowed us to live free from sin if we choose to follow that. When we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to guide us to live right. Why, again, then, would we want to go back to the way that we were living? I don't want to go back. I want to move forward Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And I like the last few verses of this, of this chapter. Verse 18 says, For I build again those things which I destroyed. I make myself a transgressor. Because Paul, after asking, is, is, is Christ a minister of sin? No, he is not. Certainly not. Absolutely not. And then he says, For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. And I like verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How exciting is that, that Christ came even while we were still sinners. He came and died for us. He gave himself for us. Hebrews chapter 9. And verses 11 through 15. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, but that those who are called may receive the promise 
of the internal inheritance. So all of these sacrifices and all the blood that was shed from animals to fulfill the law, if that covered for that time, we can't even imagine what the blood of Christ has done. One time, one time for the rest of eternity, Christ sent, he sent, God sent his son Jesus to shed his blood to cover our sins once for all. It's done. It's over. He's done the work. Now it's up to us to decide if we want to live for him, if we want to live according to the spirit, if we want to walk in the spirit, if we want him to work through us. That's up to you and me. And I can't make that decision for you. You have to make it for you. And I have to make it for me. And all I want to do this morning is encourage you to make that choice. Are we going to live according to the Spirit? Are we going to allow the Spirit to work in us? Imagine what the blood of Christ can do compared to the blood of animals. It's incredible what God did, what Jesus did on the cross. It's amazing. A couple things to leave you with this morning. First one is, don't live a double life. Be who you are all the time. Be who you are all the time. Not one person on Sunday and another person on Monday. The second one is, remember that love is the key. Paul had to come and address Peter in front of people, but he had to do it in love. And there may be times where you have to address people. The one thing that I don't like is I don't like confrontation. I just don't. But I'm learning that there are times that it's necessary. But it also has to be done in the right way. Because some people like confrontation, and they will seek it out, and they'll look for it, and quite often it's done in the wrong way. Unfortunately, it's done in the wrong way. Confrontation is necessary sometimes, but it has to be done correctly. Remember that love is the key. And the last thing, that it isn't about me, but it's all about Christ. One more time, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And we know that Christ didn't die in vain because righteousness comes through him and him alone, not through the law. Stand up with me if you would. The challenge for this week as we go about our lives, the people that we meet, the people that we see, people we come in contact with, is to be who you are all the time. Let's be who we are. Let's be who God made us to be. Let's do what God created us to do. Father, thank you for your love this morning. I just pray that you would bless each person that's here. Bless us as we go. I pray your direction, your guidance on our week. Lord, I pray you give us wisdom as we, as we share with people. Lord, bring people into our path to share your love with. And just give us an excitement for you that we uh, can't contain, that it would run over. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. If you turn around, shake somebody's